The Meeting Charleston podcast is sponsored by Princeton Mortgage, home of the Princeton Promise. If you think your mortgage process was anything less than effortless, just tell them why and receive a $1,000 credit at closing. My husband Mark and I moved to Charleston in 2018 with our three daughters. We both grew up in New Jersey and were ready for a new adventure. We had visited Charleston a few years back and immediately fell in love. So when it came time to pick a new home, low country living seemed like a no-brainer. So far, it has definitely exceeded our expectations. We love meeting our new neighbors and hearing their stories, so we started this podcast because we think that you might want to hear these stories too. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our feed on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, and please give us a five-star rating. Your support will make it easier for us to get an audience with the people you would most like to hear from. If you have suggestions for us on guests or things that we can do to improve the podcast, please message us on Facebook or Instagram. Your feedback is sincerely appreciated. Now on to our guest. So uh, we are here with Hillary Johnson, who is the founder of Hatch Tribe. Yes. The founders that we have. Yeah, founder and CEO. Founder and CEO. So why don't you talk to us, start off a little bit about mission, what you guys do, and uh, what's important to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, our mission is is single track. It's we want to help more women entrepreneurs step into the space of running a business, growing a business, and becoming profitable as business owners. And you know, the odds are really stacked against entrepreneurs. We know that fifty percent of businesses fail within the first five years. And so, when you look at those odds, um, we see real opportunity. You know, and that opportunity is to make sure that we're giving entrepreneurs the tools they need and really helping them develop a network so that they can be successful and really last the test of time. Awesome. So who are some of the businesses in Charleston that you've worked with, some success stories, people that you know we, we might know about or bumped into you down here that you've worked with? I mean, really the community is so large, and not to be like coy about that answer, but it's not about individual businesses. It's very much about the community that we're building, and, and it's about the women that are building those businesses showing up and being supportive of one another. And so I'm hesitant to say it's about specific individuals because it's really not. Like that's the way we've built this community is making sure that we're giving resources to all entrepreneurs regardless of whether or not you would perceive or someone else would perceive that they're successful by outside perspective. Because that's one of the things that we know is really important is that making your first $10,000 is as important as it is making your first million dollars or your first $10 million. And so we see it as a great equalizer. So how specifically do you work with the community to give extra resources? Yeah, so really, um, when the company first started, it was all about doing live events. It became a real way of pulling entrepreneurs out of their homes because as we know, a lot of early phase entrepreneurs are working out of their houses or out of coffee shops, um, and they're desperately missing community. So they're really looking for a way to connect and find other business owners. And so we started doing live events and really opening up the conversation. And every time we got together, we would pick a theme and pick a topic. And so sometimes it'd be around collaboration and connection. Sometimes it'd be around marketing. Sometimes it would be around um, finances, you know, topics that are really important to business owners. And what we always did was just opened it up for a robust dialogue and really created a two-way conversation. And so the events became um, the sort of initial seed of what we were doing. But what we found over time is that there was a real demand and need to keep that conversation going between the live events. 
And so that led us down the path of creating the member circle, and that now has members that are all over the world, and that's really our growth, um, is, is helping see women entrepreneurs succeed globally. And so um, it's been a really incredible transformation, but everything from live events through the member circle, uh, we run mastermind groups for small groups of women entrepreneurs to come together. Um, we also do coaching, which I lead, and then we'll do conferences and some bigger things too. So yeah, a whole well, variety of stuff. Yeah, so I think I have a bunch of questions about that, but before we kind of dive in yeah. there, we also do dive into your personal story. So. Sure. Um, take us on your career path journey, how you got here, what inspired you to do it, where it all starts. And if you want to start with where you grew up, whatever you think is relevant. Yeah, sure. So I'll start by saying there was never a seed in my body that thought I was going to be a business owner. Um, you know, I very much grew up in the generation of like you, you graduate school, you go to college, you figure out some job you're going to do and like you climb the corporate ladder. And that really was what I thought I was going to do. And it was what I did for over 10 years. And so when I left college, I moved to Florida and wound up working in the beer industry. I started with Miller Brewing there. And then in eight years that followed, I lived in five different cities. I'd taken promotions with the company and that Miller Brewing merged with Coors Brewing, became Miller Coors. And then <laughs> I was living in Chicago suddenly and like looking around and going like, whoa, what just happened with like the last decade of my life? And- um, well, So just, that I like to stop because I, yeah. there's a bunch of stuff that happened there, right? Oh, sure. So, what were things about you that enabled you to excel with the company? Mm. And what are some things that you learned while you were there that you think um, kind of are still helping you or, or give you perspective as you do yeah. right now? So I think one is I've always been really personally accountable. Like I don't expect anyone to hand me anything. I've, I'm a hard worker, I'm disciplined, and I grew up that way. And so for me, when I got into the corporate world, like I didn't expect to get anything, but I busted my ass and I knew that I needed to do that in order to move up and I wanted to move up. So I worked really hard, you know, and I, I understood what I needed to do to advance to the next level and I was asking questions and really making the connections with the right people and uh, working. Like I put in the hours, I put in the time and I think there's a lot of misconception now, like especially in the younger generation, that like you, you deserve something. Well, you don't, you gotta go work for it. And I think that when I look at that to now being a business owner, you have to work hard. I mean, there's just no way around it. And so I really see that that was a trait that carried through. It got me through that, that corporate job and like really helped me climb the ladder. And then it really created a seed of understanding of what it takes to go run a business. Like you have to be personally accountable. You have to show up and do the work. You have to work through things that suck, you know? Yeah, I mean, so what, yes. so yeah, of course. And so, so for me, like, I think early on it was a lot of fear motivating me. I was like, I'm never gonna be able to afford a house. How am I gonna raise a family? And so like that really pushed me to work hard. And then there was another point where I where I looked around and I was like, oh, I think I can do really big things here because I see like a difference in how I'm approaching it versus how some other people are. Yeah. Did you have a moment or a time where you were like, where it went from? First of all, what was there fear involved in that motivation early on? And then was there a time where you went like, oh no, like there's something here I can do this like I can do something really special with this? Yeah. Yes to all. I mean, I think one when leaving this I had a really great successful career and I was making six figures and and was comfortable but I wasn't fulfilled and I wanted to own my own business you know so despite not growing up thinking that's what I wanted to do there was very much a part of me that just felt like I was a like a square peg in a round hole it just it wasn't fitting you know so I knew I wanted to do that but I wasn't like yeah this is natural and easy for me to go do this like that was still hard like 
taking that big step out and, and launching a business was huge. And I moved from Chicago to Charleston to do that. And so I left everything I knew and had there and left that six figure salary behind and, you know, started it all fresh. Um, so why, what, yeah, why, the, why Charleston? Well, at the time, I was trying to decide where I wanted to live. And, you know, I'm from the South. I grew up coming here every single year when I was a kid because my grandmother lived here. My parents met and married here. Um, so I had a rich history in Charleston. And so in looking to get out of, like, the bitter winters of the Midwest, I was <laughs> like, it's definitely something in the South. But I entertained a lot of different cities. And ultimately, this is where I thought was going to be a good place to start. Um, you know, and that was about 10 years ago, which seems crazy. So a lot's transpired in that time. But yeah, and it was a totally different business then, to be clear. It wasn't Hatch Tribe. I mean, I was producing festivals and events then. So it was, you know, something else. But yeah, I mean, there was a lot of fear. And I think in the beginning, you know, you're, you're mostly watching your money dwindle. You know, it's, like it's going out the door at a pace that's much more rapid than it's coming in. And you're like, oh, God, like, am I going to be able to do this? And, and I mean, the... Definitely the first two years, I think for most business owners, it's a wild ride. I mean, you're, you get sales and they feel so exciting. Like the high is really, really high when you get a sale. Yep. And it's also the low that you experience. Like we had one festival that lost $30,000 in one day and that's an annual festival. So it's like, when do you recoup that? Well, next year. Ugh. You know, yeah. so I was having those real epic highs and lows, like all business owners have, especially in the first couple of years. And you know, you're you're trying to decide, like, is this okay? Like, should I be having this, or is something inherently flawed or wrong? And I think that that's hard as adults. You know, as a young person, you navigate it a little differently. But I think as an adult, you're kind of looking at it, comparing it to where you just were. Like, I was comparing it to a successful career where I really knew the ropes, I understood my job, I understood how to succeed, I understood how to make six figures, plus, 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 like I got it. Yeah. And then over here I'm like cutting my teeth every day, yeah. like figuring out all the things and then I'm like, I don't know if I'm doing okay or not. And I feel like 10 years ago, social media has changed a lot, of, uh, everything, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like 10 years ago, nobody, there was not like a place for you to go and find that community to talk about the hardship. Everyone was like, I don't know if people are afraid or embarrassed and you know what you want everybody to think you're doing so well. Of course. But everybody that's a business owner goes through this. And yeah. It's and that was definitely like where the seedling of Hatch Tribe's uh, idea really came together was in those first couple years of my business because I was experiencing just an immense sense of being alone and isolated in this journey. I didn't know other business owners. I did not know other women business owners. Charleston at the time was significantly smaller than it is right now. And so, you know, I looked around and I'm like, I'm not really sure where my community is. And, and you start looking for answers and for support. And when it's not there, you recognize just how lonely that gets. And I think that I see it now that that's one of the things that's so critical for business owners, regardless of how long you've been around. But it's like you need community and you need connection because when you're struggling, whether you're in your first year or your 10th year, you need to have someone to go to and turn to and, and really get feedback. Like, have you been through this in your business? And if so, what did you do to get to the other side? Or what are the things I need to be thinking about that I'm not currently because I just haven't walked through this path yet? Um, and that's been one of the things that's been so amazing and really transformative, not only for me in my own journey, but for so many other business owners of like having a place to come connect and, and share those open conversations and like not have to have the answers because how would you? Yeah. So when you 
started Hash Tribe when you originated it. Um, what was what's the overall objective, short term, medium term, long term, and what were some KPIs that you were looking at early on to know like if it was working? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, initially it was. I want to build a community to support women entrepreneurs. Like that was just kind of the initial impetus. Like we need a place to gather and come together and have these conversations that it feels like we're not having, and a place to really gather and and bring business owners together. Because again. I didn't know them. So it to me it was like self-serving in many ways. Like let's build this because I want it. I need it. Yeah. What turned out is others needed it too. Um, so I think as in the beginning initially it was just let's create this community where it's growing into is like how really can we change um, change the statistics and beat the odds of what's happening in entrepreneurship. And we know it's hard, you know, and but we don't believe in any way that you have to settle for that but we do think that you have to have access to the right stuff and for us it's two things it's like you need access to the right education you know there's no school class that totally sets you up for being a business owner I mean there are entrepreneurship programs in school and I think that's amazing but you learn when you're doing it and once you're out there we know you need to continue to be educated and so a big platform that we have is education the other side is like really building that robust network and it's not the let's go shove business cards at one another. It's the let's build a relationship with one another so we truly can lean on one another uh, when we're in a moment where we need some real advice from another business owner who's been through the walk and who is willing to step into that and give it freely. Um, so those things matter. And like right now, um, I would say as we think about our goals, it's one, we're expanding so rapidly and so we have members that are well across the U.S. and so our first goal is like we want a member in every single state across the U.S. and then we set our sights on global but our mission very much is to touch the lives of a million women entrepreneurs and I know that we'll do that. I have no doubt in my my mind that we will Um, and I think that that's going to take a variety of different tools to be able to do that but but where I where it really connects for me is that right now we're in a moment where a lot of people say women's rights matter. Not that they haven't always, but it, the, there's a lot of conversation around it. And I believe that wholeheartedly. They do. And I want to be a part of that solution. And I believe that entrepreneurship is a real solution. You know, because when we give women the ability to truly earn money, to truly generate profit in their life and income, they're able to have choice. And in many cases, that's the choice they need. Like, can I send my kids to a school that gives them a better advantage than they have right now? Or can I afford to leave this marriage where I'm being beaten by my husband? Or can I invest in causes that I truly care about beyond just me covering my baseline needs every single day? And so to me, I look at it and I'm like, entrepreneurship is very much that doorway through and it's something that it's from the ground up. Like we create that and to support other women as they're growing their businesses helps them advance themselves and it helps women advance as a whole and helps all humankind, in my mind. Yeah. So I, I listened to a couple of podcasts that you did um, while I was preparing for this. And yeah. There's a, re- there's a real focus on just, you know, the, the, the skills that people need in terms of, and the mindset stuff that people need mm-hmm. in order to take this leap and, and go forward. What are some of the things, you know, in the two-minute clip, you know, what are the things that you think hold people back the most in when, let's say they decided to go. Right? Yeah, okay, they're already in. It. Right, they're in. We're doing yeah. this. Um, you know, what are some things that you've noticed are the difference between success and failure? 
Honestly, the first piece, and it was like the second and the third, is truly not asking for the sale. And, and by that, I mean it's just a reluctance to put ourselves out there to really say, this is what I'm offering. Do you want to work with me? So it's the lack of making the offer. And we know if you're not putting investment in your, and, and by that, I mean time, energy, money, into sales in your business, you're not putting money in. And we're not running a hobby here, folks. Like, it's a business. If it, and businesses work because we are generating revenue and generating profit. So we need that. And if you're not putting an, an at, a, a real focus on sales, you are not doing that. And I think a lot of people get really excited by the idea of like stepping into their business and they want to do it, they're drawn, they're passionate about the topic, but they're investing no time and energy in it and they're still shying away from it because they're afraid of rejection. And I get that. But you gotta go do it, you're gonna get a lot of no's. Yeah. I mean, y'all know. You probably get some no's. Lots of no's. <laughs> Lots of no's. Go for no. We always, even when we used to train sales, you're always looking for the no. Another no just made yeah. you closer to the next yes. That's exactly right. <laughs> so how does what is the what is the business plan for Hatch Drive? I mean, because I just I'm just still trying to wrap my head around all of that and how that works for you. What your plans are for that? I mean, our member circle is really where we grow. Okay. You know, we have members that can join us from all over the world. And so that's our scalable piece of our business. And we'll st still continue to do live events. They're such an important part of what we do in building that human-to-human -human connection. But as our, um, our mission grows, that's really the tool that we're able to do that through. So if I'm listening to this and I'm in New Jersey and I want to become a yeah. member, I want to become a member. What do I have to do? What does that look like? You go to hatchtribe.com, sign up to join the wait list because the enrollment's not currently open, but maybe you're listening to it at a time when it is. And so if it is, you could join. But we open enrollment a couple times per year for people to join our community. And then once you're in, you're in. So. What's the thought process behind having limited enrollments? Uh, two purposes. One is from a functional standpoint for us, we can do a better job onboarding our members. And we want to make sure when people step in, they really understand how to take advantage of the community. Because there's a lot of resources, and frankly, you could come drown in there if you like really went down the rabbit hole of like, oh my God, there's all these people, or there's these courses, or there's these workshops. And you know, there's stuff, we have events that are virtual that happen every single month. And so you could really get lost, and that's why we take time to really onboard and make sure people feel... Uh, like they can navigate it and really use the resources to their best and ask questions. And the other, I'll be totally frank, is that people don't make decisions if there's not some kind of a trigger. And so we know that keeping enrollment open, it's like, yeah, I'll get to it next month. Nope. <laughs> so if you shut it down and you give people, I mean, this is a real sales tip. It's like, if you have some pressure on time, like you have to do it by this date, people will do it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't mean that. I guess I do because I'm curious. And by the way, I can cut it if you don't want to, if you don't want to share it. But you know, I guess my question is like, so it's a it's a unique business model, right? Because your your the value is helping people, right? And so it like it's um and you have to deliver that value. And obviously, the membership model allows you to deliver way more value than you collect in payment, which is one of the things because you can have like one video on there that a million people can watch. Oh, sure. And so like there's there's real opportunity for expansion there. Um, so. But, so how many members do you guys currently have? Oh, uh, about 200. And you say when you want to touch a million women, is that, do you mean that in members, you mean those mm -hmm. members are touching those women? How does that, how do you measure that? Uh, it'll be a variety of different ways, like I mentioned. So one of the things that we do is we invest in partnerships through Kiva. We've invested in over uh, 200 and some odd loans to date. 
So those are businesses that we are actively investing in, and there are people that are all over the world. Um, so it, like I said, there, awesome. there's different yeah. things that we do, um, and it will take a variety of different tools. Like if I said I wanted to work with women in Uganda, I know that they're not going to be able to use the member circle, but I've been to Uganda. I can tell you a little bit about what that looks like there. 40% of women are entrepreneurs. It's one of the highest percentages of entrepreneurs in the world. Um, so there are, it's going to take a variety of different tools, and we know that, but things that we look at that matter are how many people are coming to the events that we host. So we do events here. We have events in Lexington, Kentucky, Wilmington, North Carolina. We're expanding events into other cities, and that will eventually grow into global cities. So that's one measure. Certainly the member circle is one measure. And there, and again, it's not the tool for everybody. There's people that we work through with coaching or with masterminds. Again, not for everybody, nor should it be. Um, so it'll take a lot. I mean, it's, it's a big vision, but... Um, I think that there's no one right size fits all. It's very much around like what is needed in a given market and really staying present with that and recognizing that what the world looks like today will not be what it looks like in 15 years. We're gonna have different tools in five, 10, 15 years. And I don't need to know what they are right now. No. I couldn't. <laughs> so you mentioned, I've, I've heard or read other places that you're, you're very into travel. You just mentioned Uganda. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious that 40% entrepreneurship rate how much of that is driven by necessity or culture or where does that come from? Because I think obviously there's things you want to either, can you learn from them? And can, what can we take away from that that would make a difference here? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in the case of uh, a number of African countries, a lot of it is by necessity. There are not a lot of companies that people can go work for. And so women are creating opportunity for themselves. And so they're figuring out things that they can invest in. And when you look at a lot of the companies that, um, are on Kiva, they're similar. You know, there are women that, and you can read all the profiles, it's really quite cool, but um, a lot of them are women that are creating opportunity in their own community. They want to take care of their kids, they want to take care of potentially their spouse, depending on what's happening in their world, and um, that is a gateway through. And, and that, again, is my point of, like, entrepreneurship is very much a tool that can be used to advance women's rights globally um, if we're given the right tools and we really can continue to invest in them. So, yeah, I think every country looks a little bit different, um, for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's a tall order. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something that's really important just to me because I feel like it's such a huge economic opportunity for everybody, right? Like, we, we have, you know, when you have underserved populations in the United States that aren't getting the opportunity to grow businesses, then we're, we're smothering some of our best ideas, which lead to the best growth. And so it's just the more opportunity that we can give to all different underserved communities or sure. places that we've made it hard is just, it, um, it's something that's really, I find really interesting. And yeah. by the way, it's a really complicated problem. So I like oh, as many God, perspectives yeah. on it as, uh, as we possibly can. Um, so some Charleston things, right? So you've, yeah. you've been living here for 10 years, right? You, mm -hmm. you know, you told me it's really, it's grown a lot since you've been here. Yes. What are some of your favorite places? What are some of your favorite things to do? Um, you know, a lot of the people who listen to this are not necessarily from here, but are yeah. coming to visit, so. What, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, when I first moved here, I really, I found great joy. I was living on Folly Beach, and you know, having come from, from Chicago and moving to Folly felt like just such a luxury. You know, it would be, because winter, it means something different here. So winter on the beaches, to me, is one of the greatest things. Um, we have, yes, <laughs> yes, and it's a 
think you really can be outside and like walk the beach and people will take their dogs and I think it, you know I don't have a dog right now but I think you know it, it is such a joy to be with your dog on the beach during winter early mornings and it's just quiet and lovely and amazing and that was always something that really spoke to me um, I think you know, it, it has changed a lot, but I would say one place that's been here since the beginning, Theater 99, like if you're a little comedy junkie or like improv, it's such a great little place to go to, um, and I love that place. Where is that? Um, it's off of the East Bay. Okay. Cool. Wait, wow. I say Meeting. It's off of Meeting. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. So, really good little spot to go to. Um, I live on the other side of town now, so I live over in Mount Pleasant, and so I'm closer to Sullivan's Island now, which I like, and I like the... If I'm going to go to the beach there, I like to actually go closer towards the end, towards the point on Sullivan's Island, so like Station 16, like around there. Oh, um, I love that. And when the container ships come through, like it's cool because they're so close. Like if it's low tide, you can really, like that to me is just, it's neat. Yeah. Um, I'm an outdoor junkie and there's no hiking here, obviously, but in terms <laughs> of like trying to get as close as you can, um, Laurel Hill County Park is one of my favorite places. You'll go all the way up 17 and then uh, turn into Park West and there's like a county park that's a little further down on the left-hand side, like a recreation center county park. And Laurel Hill County Park is by far like one of my favorite places. You can trail Ooh, run out awesome. there, take like a bike, uh, mountain bike, not like a road bike because it's a little tree limb, you know, <laughs> written. But uh, it's lovely and Basic kitchen downtown, not hole in the wall, but it's definitely one of my favorite places. Yeah. What's what's the what's the go-to meal of choice there? The thing that you know, I wouldn't even say it's a well. The basic bowl is probably my favorite thing if I get something consistently. Um, but there's just, the food's just like fresh and healthy and good. And it's, so so yeah. Mark is allergic to gluten, and so is our oh, oldest daughter. So it's like we found the that. That's the place we eat outside. <laughs> and I never. I am like a cheese steak, like oh. meat and potatoes girl. I do not that eat healthy not at all. Give you any of that. And but I ordered like their avocado. I would never order mm -hmm. an avocado and an egg on toast ever in my life. And I ate it, and I'm like, this is amazing yeah I should be eating this all the time like it was an inspiration for me to be healthy it was so good yeah. so yeah I love that place shout out to the Millennials in Brooklyn who made avocado <laughs> I know right so what what questions did you have I mean I have so much so oh so when you were you grew up you said down south mm -hmm. where where were you born where Hickory North Carolina so about four hours from here okay so where you were in Chicago before you moved here. Mm -hmm. You bounced around a little bit. Where were you? Yeah. Any other cities that yeah. you love and yeah. So when I, I left, yes, <laughs> yes, all no, <laughs> no. I won't tell you if I hated it. No, I, I went to art school. So I left Hickory and went to North Carolina School of the Arts in Winston Salem. Then I went to UNC Greensboro for college, and when I left there, I moved to Tampa, Florida. I was there for about four and a half years, and then that's where I started working with Miller Brewing. And then it led me to Montgomery, Alabama, uh, New Orleans, then Nashville, and then Chicago. Oh, and I missed one year in college, I lived in Mexico. I lived in Cuernavaca, Mexico. Uh, you so. could have done a lot worse with those cities. That's a pretty yeah, that's city fantastic. list. Those are cool yeah. places. Yes. Uh, there's only one in that spectrum that was a little... Come on, spill it. Tell us. I, I, I can yes. tell by your face, I think. <laughs> No, it, it, mostly, it was 
Montgomery, Alabama, which was actually, it was lovely. Like, the people could not have been nicer. Like, and I'll just give this story to illustrate this. When I first moved there, I, you know, I was working in the beer business, and so I'd shown up at the distributor, and I was talking about, like, my house, and I'm like, my God, I, I'm not going to mow the grass. I had this huge house, because you could afford a lot there. Like, your money goes a really long way. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do with this yard. And Ed Fleming goes, I got you. I'll, I'll have my guy take care of it. Well, I thought he meant I'll, like, have him call you. I got home that day, and my yard had already been mowed. Like, it was done. (laughs) And then that guy just kept showing up. And then he started finally dropping off, like, an invoice to have me pay him. And I was like, this is amazing. And, like, (laughs) the cost of living could not be beat. And people really do show up for one another. But it was was the smallest city I ever lived in, you know. And I was like, whoa, this is hard. You know, this is a little small. The level of nice for us, even here, coming from New Jersey, (laughs) has been, like, pretty... Amazing, but like first, like alarming, like it's, it is because you just assume that someone's trying to take advantage of you. Because where I come from, if someone's being nice to you, there's like an angle. Like you what's know? wrong? Yes. Yeah, I know. We so, came down here. I'm like, all oh, these people are fake. What's happening? Yeah. They're so nice to me. They're smiling. You're like what's people wrong are you? happy. <laughs> it's December and it's warm and people are happy. I don't. This is yeah. not New Jersey. No, <laughs> we're not in Kansas anymore. It's so true. Ugh. So, what are some other things? Oh, God, do you have some? No, go ahead, go What are some other things that you think, what's like the next thing that you, you have planned for your members or for, that you can do that's going to, that, what's, give us a preview of what's coming. What's coming, yeah. So uh, first, really on the horizon is we have a conference on December 4th, and that will be here in Charleston. So we did a conference in June, and this is kind of the sister to that. Um, that will be announced in a couple of weeks. So it's probably about the time you have this aired out, then it'll be live, so you'll be able to get that on our website. But the conference really is, it's its so much fun because we get a full day, and it's a full day to really bring business owners together, and we bring in some really incredible speakers, and we have some amazing folks joining us this time. And then we also do some programming because one of the things that I've found to be really important, especially before we get too late in the year, is like hitting the pause button to be like, what the heck just happened? Because it goes by so fast, and you really need that moment to pause and be like, what worked out of my last year, and what didn't, and where did I go astray, and what are those goals that I still keep missing? Because sometimes it's like we're not giving enough time or energy or we forgot. And it's also looking at what do you want to happen in the next year and really setting that tone so that before you get into Christmas, you already have just kind of that preliminary vision and letting it bake a little bit over the holidays so when you come back in January, you're ready to go. Um, And that's big. And the other is, you know, as we move into 2020, one of the things we're really looking at is how do we continue to expand the footprint of what we have and doing that in meaningful ways. And, And we tested the chapter model, which it was Wilmington and Lexington. And I told, and I'll be totally honest about this, we wanted to experiment with it because we weren't sure if we would want to do it. And yeah. I think that's such an important thing to do in your business or in your life before you, you don't have to go all in, but you can test an experiment. And we wanted to test it to know if it was something that was sustainable, that we could do with our team or what it would take. And after we tested, we're like, this doesn't work the way that we wanted it to. Like it actually has to be reworked. So we're at a moment right now where we're saying, okay, cool, what do we learn? What do we need to change? How do we want to do this in a slightly different way? And I'd love to tell you I have all those answers if I don't, but but we know that we will go into other cities in 2020. And that feels exciting because we've had, you know, burgeoning groups of people popping up in new cities that are like, we really would love you to come here. Like we want that live in-person connection. We just have to figure out the right way to answer that so that we can still solve it with inside the construct of our business. 
Um, so I feel like I have tens of people that I'm thinking of, like in New York and New Jersey, like, oh my goodness, yeah. we need to meet her. And we really want to yeah. do it. It's just we have to find the right way to do it. And, you know, it, and, and the reason why it didn't work in the way we thought it would is because our chapter leads are business owners. Yep. And so if you think about it, when you take a business owner and you add another thing to their plate, it's like if they have to prioritize what comes first will always be their business, and it should. Mm -hmm. Like as a coach, I would be like, your business has to come first, everything else comes second or third or fifth or 500. <laughs> so I know why they made decisions to, to reprioritize sometimes, but what that did is put things that we needed to happen much earlier later in the spectrum, and we're like, shit, we can't do that. Like, we actually need to make this easier for the people who are leading our events for us in other cities because if they deprioritize it all, the event doesn't work. You know, so it was it's such an interesting learning and that we've been really open in our communication with our chapter leads, like what's working, what's not. Like tell us what you need from us because we want to try to fix it and make it easier. <laughs> but at the same time we have to find something that's a sustainable solution for our team too. So yeah. So who do you work with? Like, so who do you have like a like a board of people, advisors that you have? Like, when you're figuring this out, bouncing these ideas off, taking these small bets, you know, yeah. who who are you, who's your sounding board for all of that? Uh, I'd like to say there's different functions. So one, we we take very seriously research. Like, we want to ask as many questions as possible before we pull the trigger on something. And I think that that's good advice for any business or or anybody. Like, you can go to anyone and ask them, like, if you're in the field, what do you know about your job? What do I need to know here? What am I gonna be missing? What are the pitfalls? What, you know, what am I not gonna see that I need to know? Um, so we ask a lot of questions and we also do that with inside our own community. So we really look for feedback to say what's working, what's not, you know, and some of the feedback we've got is like, it's too much. Oh, cool, you want less? We can give you less. <laughs> no problem. So asking questions we think is really important to get feedback. And that really often comes from our membership and the cities we're looking at expanding into. Now, for me, as a business owner, my mastermind groups are definitely a place where I'm seeking higher level strategic feedback. So I'll bring mm -hmm. into the room like, okay, here's what I'm thinking about. Help me look at this from what a CEO perspective. What do you mean a mastermind group? Cool. So a mastermind group, um, they can be structured in different ways, but in the context of a business mastermind, you would take, a, say, six to eight business owners that are all at like a similar level in their business. So say six figures, seven figures, maybe in a similar industry, et cetera. And um, there's a shared common goal. So in our case, the mastermind groups are six women entrepreneurs, all six, multi six, seven figures. Um, they have to have been in business for three or more years, although most of them are like five to 15 years. So they come in with a wealth of experience and all of them still have growth as part of their own platform, meaning they haven't reached a point where they're like, I'm good, I'm gonna sit back and coast. <laughs> so because of that, in this case, we're able to present real business scenarios and say like, hey, as you think about this in like your own business with your own experience, what would you have me think about? Um, and present like real life scenarios and know that it's carried in a circle of trust. Like we sign NDAs because we're exposing very much like the inside of our businesses. And so we want to know that there's trust and confidence there to share it. Um, but mastermind groups can be in all different functions. So like you could work for someone else and find a mastermind or in like the mortgage industry, there's probably mastermind groups that are specifically focused on that industry. Yep. So there's a bunch of versions thereof, but 
Um, I think they're great because it's a real sounding board of your peers, but in a highly trusted environment where you know it's confidential. It's incredible. To me, that's the key. Yeah. It's funny. People don't talk about that. Like, it, it, it's something that is very either not happening as much as it should be or um, just not something that people talk about being a part of for some reason. But because it seems like such a missed opportunity. I mean, yeah, everybody, everyone would benefit by being able to share those things in that sort of way, regardless of their level of different companies and things. And so um, having that outlet, I think, is something that I'm glad you talked about. Yeah, I'm glad you asked the question too. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't know, Nicole, my last question for you is you did this podcast thing, you launched it, you talked about at the end of it, how you know you, you paused it, I guess, but yeah. how much work it was. That was six hours of, yeah. you know, booking somebody, researching them, doing the podcast, doing the editing, getting it up on social media, promoting it. Um, and ultimately, it probably wasn't worth it, the return on investment for you, at least last year while you were doing it. Yeah. If you go back from the beginning, what would you tell yourself? What would you do differently? What advice do you have for us? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good question. The advice that I got early on was commit to doing it a year and give yourself like a full runway of at least a year just to like test it out. I can now look at it being, it's been almost a year since we hit pause on it. And I can say in many ways, I kind of wish I'd kept going. Um, so there's a part of me that really misses it. The platform's amazing and like I am a podcast consumer. Like I very much listen to them because to me I can do it whilst doing other things and that's the great joy. Like I can be in the gym listening to my favorite podcast and soaking it up and I'm like getting That's how I listen to yours this morning. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. This is no doubt how I'll listen to this later. Yeah. You know, and I think for that it's great. Um, I, in, in some ways I regret it, but at the time, like just the plate was overflowing and just like we were talking about, like as a business owner, you, you do have to reprioritize and things have to come off of your plate. You can't keep adding unless you just add a shitload of employees, you have a shitload of money. And like, we were not in a moment a year ago where I felt like we could keep doing all of that. And so we've spent more effort and energy on video. Um, which works for us. Like I enjoy the platform. We don't over edit. In fact, if you've watched anything I do, you'll know that it's very rarely edited at all. Like it's just coming to our, and I like that. And that yeah. works with our audience, but it's really knowing your audience. So that was your favorite song going. when you were 12. I heard a podcast where you said that uh, <laughs> <laughs> earlier today also. Come as you are by Nirvana. That's so. so funny. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. I love oh, yes. Yes, yeah, I do remember actually talking about that. I do love that song. I love that you love song. Nirvana. But it was funny because I liked Nirvana at the same time that I also like Far Side and Tribe Called Quest. So I was like between like that yes. early hip hop genre and then like this grunge rock thing and yeah. smoking enough weed at the time that like it all <laughs> sort of made sense, you know, but that was 15. <laughs> well, I, Wait, so well, I have one other gosh. question. So. Every time I see you, and I've run into you, I've attended a yeah. couple of the events that you throw, and uh, every time I see you, even now, you walk in, and you're always smiling, and you're always seemingly positive and happy, and there's so much stress that goes into everything um, as a business owner, and you have so much going on. How do you, aside from you possibly just give me that special <laughs> pill that you're on, how do you... Manage your stress, what's the best way to manage your stress and how do you keep such a positive outlook? Um, such a great question. I mean, I don't get it right all the time, you know, to be totally clear, right? So there are definitely days where you'd find me, you'd be like, what the heck just happened with her? Um, 
but it is it's being conscious for me so one like just as my how I show up in a room I recognize I have full control over you know and like today I mean well I like putting all the cards on the table because I think it's important for how people learn like I offered a role to someone who's on my team an expanded role and I found out literally an hour before I got here that she's not taking it and so I spent like, you know, about 45 minutes just kind of going through the like full emotion of like, oh my God, like, what are we going to do? You know, and that was right before stepping in the door here. I recognize I have a choice about how I can show up, you know, and, and in that case, like, am I sad? Yes. Did she make the right decision for her? Yes. Like, can I appreciate it? Yes. So what I typically am trying to do when I'm going through something that feels off is reframing it. And it's the work that I do with my clients, you know, is you can tell me anything that's happening in your business and in your life and I'll hear you but what I want to very quickly do is have you reframe it so it's like okay if it's a business situation like I hear you what are we learning let's turn the learning on and then let's figure out where we need to go or if it's something we're dealing with personally then it's like okay cool have you bitched enough let's let it go <laughs> and then let's turn that over like how do we reframe that into something more positive and it's it's just redirecting in many cases, but it is a practice. It's not something that like you're going to knock out of the park every day. Yeah. You know, like my parents were just here for five days and I totally snapped on them like probably <laughs> three or four times. I didn't totally reframe them well. Spent a couple moments in the car thinking, wow, I was a real jerk there, you know. But it's the safety of that your parents and they can't go anywhere. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Nor could I. I was we trapped. Take, we, we, <laughs> no, but we take advantage of those relationships that You're way right. all the time, right? And so things that, you know. I would never say them to someone else, but I'd say it to them. I'd be like a jerk to my dad when I don't have to be. Yeah. Like, Which makes this dynamic so we're, we oh, spend 24 hours a day together. Yes. Work, podcasts, home. All of the things. Yeah, all of the things. But part B of that, like how do you like manage the stress and do all that, to me it is a constant experiment. So I, again, I would use the word practice. Like I think what if we're living life well, we recognize it's not static. You know, so what's working for me this month may fully not work next month. And so I want to be present with that. And so when it stops not working, I'm not going to keep running the path. I'm going to figure out what I need to tweak or to change. And so right now what's working is... I need a hard break out of work because if I don't, I can't stop. Like the brain is on and I'm like a junkie. Like I'm like, give me more, give me more, give me more. And to me right now, that's an afternoon workout. So it's like if I can leave work and go to the gym at like 4.30 or 5, I can be there for two hours and very happy. And I'm now disconnecting from work. So I'm in another state of mind. And then I can go home and enjoy my night. But if I don't, I'm unhinged and I want to keep working and I'm like a junkie and I'm in front of my laptop and I'm like, ah, you know, and then they're like, why am I so tired? You know, and all the things. But I think to me, the key is like, I need some routine. So right now it's like, I get up typically between five or six. I spend a little bit of time reading, journaling, which is about setting an intention for my day. Just like one singular direction. Like today I will do good work. Today I will not be an asshole to my father. You know, today I will, whatever, like yeah. one direction. Then I get up and seek to like live that out. And then I take a real, real break after work so I can like try to disconnect. So these are, this, we, we hear and read these themes all the time, people doing this stuff. It's very hard to stay disciplined about it. Most of it all Can comes be. down to habits and discipline. And, yeah. um, but what are some things that you've read that were transformational for you? Because just yeah. by the language you're using, I can tell that there's, when you talk about, yeah, mm -hmm. give, us, give us the goods. What, what, do we, what do we need to focus on? Yeah, so I would say the one thing is a huge game changer as is uh, essential, essentialism. I'm going to have to like, be butchering the name of that 
title of the book, but the one thing in essentialism are similar topics and that it's really helping you distill down what is the priority in your business or in your life so that you can let go of the rest and learning how to let go of the rest. Because I think often we can prioritize it, but we're like, but I don't know what to do with this other stuff. Those books teach that. And so to me, those have been a game changer. The 12 hour work week, no, 12 hour, 12, <laughs> 12 week year, that's what I'm trying to say. 12 week year is also another one. I like it from a planning perspective. So rather than looking at your year as like I have 12 months, you're pulling it back into 12 weeks because we as humans can wrap our arms around 12 weeks, but we get a little loosey goosey when we start looking 12 months ahead and we're like, I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. And then you're in December and you're like, didn't do it. Yep. Right. So that condenses it down. So from a planning perspective, I really like that. Um, Success Principles by Jack Canfield, I really love. It's just from a baseline, like set your mind right. What are the things you need to do to get up that are like tried and true and proven to like help you succeed in life? I love that book. Um, we're actually using it as part of our book club for a, a thing called Soulful Success that happens inside the member circle. So yeah, those are a couple of them. Fantastic. I love business books. I don't like reading fiction at all, so like anything that's nonfiction, I'm all over. Yeah. And you wrote a book? Is, is there a place that people can go to get that yeah. if they're interested? You can get it on Amazon. It's called A Girl's Guide to Surviving the Startup with Your Mind, Body, and Soul Intact. And that is on Amazon. So I would imagine that writing a book and then having it exist and then continuing to grow afterwards may get weird and like painful when you look back at what you wrote. But do you, do you ever feel that way? Like I, I don't look back at I feel like that way about like, like when I see like my social media posts from two years, I'm like, two years ago, I'm like, oh, you know, like, do you have that same feeling? Because the book is so like, it's like a permanent place of picture yeah. of where you were in that moment, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm really proud of that book. And it, it was such a dream. It was a life's dream to write and publish a book. And I'm thrilled that I did it. And I don't care. I mean, and I mean that with all sincerity. Like, I don't care what's there relative to where I am now. Like, I teach from where I am now. I coach from where I am now. And like... That's a piece of the past that I'm so proud of. And I just look at like there's a new body of work and that's cool too. And like, you know, much like when I record videos, like I often don't even rewatch them. I'm like, what came out needed to come out? And like, if you're splitting hairs over me dropping the F bomb or said something that went backwards or tripped over words, I, I don't care. If that's your problem, that's not my problem. How do I, how do I, how do I get to that place? Because the care, this is like a, this is something that's holding me back to be quite frank with you, is that there's so much pain in that for me. Like the permanence of it there. I can get in front of a million people and I have no anxiety. I post a video and one person watches it and that stresses me out. So <laughs> okay. this is, okay. yeah, how do you get to the place where you don't care? And you just keep doing it. And, and it's the same advice I give all of my clients who are working on any like new content, new material, especially where they're front and center, is like you have to keep doing it and keep executing it and don't watch it and don't care who watches it. So it's like we put stuff on YouTube and I don't care what the comments are. I don't care what the haters are. I don't care what the likes are. And, and it's you have to not care about the like as much as the dislike. Because what we do is we focus on the dislike and we're like, oh, three people hated it, but like 500 loved it. Oh great, so I'm gonna focus on these two, these two really shitty comments or yep. whatever. Just don't care. Just keep doing you. Because like what's in you needs to come out. Like what's in you is your gift. You are the only you. You are the only you. So you have to put you out there because if you don't, nobody gets to experience that gift of you. So you just do it. Cool. Well, thank don't you. land with the right people. 
<laughs> Did you have any, I know you, we, you have to get out of here. Is there anything else you want to say or that you want to go over? No. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. you I would like to say that I was so excited when we started this and immediately thought to bring you on because you, coming down here, I mentioned before we had started recording that I, you know, thought I wasn't even going to really be doing much after, you know, immediately when I moved into yeah. Charleston and now I'm like doing all these things and trying to grow my own business and the podcast and you really were an inspiration. When we first came down, I wanted to start a woman's networking group. And we talked about it, and he's like, you can do this, you can do this. And I found you guys, and I'm like, oh my goodness. She, like, I can't even, I don't even know where to begin to compete. This is, like, exactly what I wanted to build, or, you know, what is needed for women and for, you know, anybody, really. I mean, this would be amazing if, you know, if well, you really really had time. But I love you, and I'm oh, so excited that you're here. So this thank is Thank you awesome. so much. I'm really stoked to be here. Well, yeah. thank you for coming. Good luck with everything in the thank coming you. year and planning for uh, success in 2020. Yeah, good luck.